We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, and we have someone new to introduce today. She's actually been on the show lurking in the shadows for several weeks now, um, but between me getting sick and uh, and other things going on scheduling-wise, we have not been able to introduce her. She's been editing and now producing my videos on the Laker Film Room YouTube channel for almost a year now and uh, has been producing this show for a couple of months now, again, in the in the shadows. And um, she is one of the most talented people that I know. Um, she's the co-host of the I Love Basketball podcast on the Silver Screen and Roll podcast network with Sabrina Merchant. Uh, Sasha Shaw, how you doing, Sasha? I'm just feeling extra talented right now. <laughs> <laughs> As always. Yeah, you you know, I, I think the world of you and uh, Sasha is going to be on the show to, you know, help help things run smoother, help us put together a better show. And occasionally she'll jump in to kind of, you know, get us back on track when when that's needed. Um, so so every five minutes. <laughs> yeah, basically, she is here to wrangle Darius because I've never been able to over these last two years. So let's be let's be real here. That's uh, a, a lot of confidence. Yeah, right yeah. Now, yeah. I, I I had to um, outsource for for such a, <laughs> a task. All right. So today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, free agency preview. Uh, we're going to start out discussing the Lakers' own free agents, and then we're going to go into what they do with their cap space, and we're going to put a couple of parameters on that for the sake of making it interesting. And a you know, if 
if they can get Kawhi, we sign Kawhi, and then, you know, that's it. But we're going to put a couple parameters that I think are on the realistic side of things to see what the Lakers are, are actually facing. But let us start with the Lakers' own free agents. Um, let, let's start with Reggie Bullock. Reggie Bullock was traded to the Lakers at the trade deadline last year. Did not shoot particularly well for most of it. He rallied a bit toward the end of the season. Um, but he has been a... High 30s, low 40s, come off of screens type of shooter. He's an okay defender. Um, the Lakers have his bird rights as by virtue of trading for him. And he's at a cap hold of $4.5 So, Darius, where do you stand on Reggie Bullock and his potential future with the Lakers? I'd like to have him back. His cap hold is at a number where I'd actually feel comfortable renouncing him just w- within the context of the pursuit of not only bigger fish, but in terms of being able to spread that money out. Um, his cap hold basically mirrors what is the room exception right? in, in terms of the amount of money that you would be spending on, on him at his cap hold. I wouldn't feel comfortable necessarily going above his cap hold as a price. There are scenarios in which you might want to sign him to a bigger contract than what his cap hold is using his his bird rights. But I think that the possibility of that is more so for his value in aggregating contracts in the future at some point for the purpose of, of a trade. But solely from the purpose of or from the standpoint of what his contract value is. I'd be looking at about that same number, four and a half to five million dollars. I'd like Bullock back under ideal situations, just because I think that his skill set is one that's needed. You mentioned sort sort of what he was like in less than a half a season with the Lakers. Um, you know, defense was okay. He offers good size. I think that he can credibly play either wing position offensively. I think defensively, he could probably be stashed on like the lesser of the two wings and, and can capably defend most shooting guards. Yeah, he he's an okay defender, but he's not like you're locked down. We're putting you on the number one option on the wing type of guy. No, I think that he could be a credible team defender, which I think mm-hmm. this team, the Lakers are going to need as many of those guys as, as they can, especially when you talk about surrounding guys around Anthony Davis and LeBron. You know, as many guys who are willing and able to make the extra rotation, give me as many of those guys as possible, and and, and Bullock can do that, right? So yeah, I'd like Bullock back. Are you looking at him as you'd want to keep his cap hold on the books? You like you want to bring him back? Like it's complicated, right? Yeah, it's he's like a second or third domino to fall, and so it's hard to answer that without knowing what the bulk of the other money is going to. I do think that he's probably about as cheap as you're going to get in terms of guys with his skill set, like a guy who can shoot around 40%, who can get shots up. You, basically, you can run plays for him. There, are, I classify shooters in two different ways. Are you a spot-up guy or are you a guy who can come off of screens? Spot-up guys are great. That's also the easiest three-point attempt that there is. If you can come off of a screen, and I uh, joyously ranted about this in our last episode about guys who can come off of screens while paired with Anthony Davis and LeBron and how that's just this peanut butter and jelly mix, you know, and uh, that's 
Bullock being that third guy, he could very capably do that. And if you can get that in that four and a half or five million a year type of range, the room exceptions right around 4.8 million. So over the course, if you can get a three year deal, for, for example, with him, say three years at 15 million. So an average of five a year, starting at 4.8 and then escalating. That's he'd be very much in, in strong consideration for that, because I do think that he brings a skill set at a cheap price that the Lakers will need. And they'll need to be able to fill skill sets with guys on the cheap wherever they can. So he's a strong candidate, in my opinion, to come back, but not at the not while sacrificing the ability to get one of the bigger fish, which we'll talk about in the second part of the of the podcast. So let's move on then to uh maybe a guy who he's competing with for a yeah. spot on this roster in Contavious Caldwell Pope. He is someone the Lakers have early bird rights on him, which means they can pay him up to 120% of his previous contract while going over the salary cap. They won't be able to really utilize that because he was paid $12 million last year. And so they will have to renounce his rights to sign got players who are more impactful. By the same token, if they sign KCP to one more year, they will then the following season have full bird rights to him. So the reason why that's significant is the Lakers could sign him for one year and then fill out the whole team, right? Get everybody under contract. And then next year, you've got Anthony Davis coming up for for max free agency. He'll get maxed out. And then you can still re-sign KCP and still have your mid-level exception, which will be in the nine million-ish range the following year. So, KCP is a guy who's much maligned by Laker by Laker fans, and for good reason. But there is a certain price point where he starts to make sense. Where is that in your mind, Darius? Wait, you're telling me there's a price point for KCP that makes sense? Are, are you just out on him? Uh, what was it you said in the a few pods ago? What would you give him? You said a, a fond farewell. A fond farewell. Yes. So, so you don't farewell. you don't bring him back for for nothing. I mean, so when you talked about Reggie Bullock being like a third domino on this specific roster with the free agents, KCP would be, I guess, the fourth domino or the fifth domino. In so you terms have him of- behind Bullock for sure. I have him behind Bullock. Yes, like interesting. I, I so KCP's an interesting guy. I was listening to um, some other people talk about KCP, and they were basically saying they were making some good points about him that his age, that he's an okay shooter. He offers some defensive versatility in terms of being able to guard point guards and shooting guards how well he does that over the course of a 48 minute game and within his rotation and within a rotation is yeah i was gonna say i don't think he's versatile at all i think he can do one or two things on defense and you can't switch with him and you can't ask him to put a body on a big or sandwich rebound or so but anyway i digress yeah so so i'm i mean the things that you're saying right now are reasons why i'm not especially high on kcp as being someone who who returns. So I think the value add where KCP is, is probably, for this Lakers team, is probably at or around what Reggie Bullock would make. I'd just rather pay that money to Bullock. When KCP came, he was the new toy, right? Mm-hmm. And he Man was a from guy. heaven. I'm, I mean, we all joke about that now. And it was funny at the time as well. So I don't want to make it sound like... Um, that all of that situation just wasn't hilarious from Rob Palenka, the way that he was describing KCP. But if you remember sort of the onerous cap situation that the Lakers were in, they had just about $18 million. There was really no one who was looking to take that money. 
KCP's rights were renounced. He was coming off of his rookie scale contract and had turned down a pretty big extension mm-hmm. from the Pistons before that. And, and so I, I think there was a perception around him that he was worth a certain amount of money, if not that full $18 million, then probably something in the... 12 to 15 million range, right? Right. He, he, the extension that he turned down was four years, 80 million. Yeah, which was a mistake. <laughs> um, Although he's been getting paid piecemeal, but uh, little by little, he's making it back with the Lakers. That's for sure. Like, I think over the past two, two years, he's made $30 million. And so, you know, if you figure he would have made $40 million over those first two years with that contract extension with with Detroit. So he's probably lost about $10 million in contract value over these, well, well, these two years. Um, and it's I about to that, be more. Yeah. Yeah. And you figure he, he probably could have made that back in spades if he would have played well. Right. Sure. I think that he's been maligned in Los Angeles for a variety of reasons. Um, you, you know, being, being under like house arrest for one, um, <laughs> You know, and and also just inconsistent performance, right? Like, I think that what we saw from KCP was someone who performed well in a role with no stakes. Right. Yeah, when he got hot from three to end of the year, that was almost obnoxious. I just feel like that's the opposite of what the Lakers need, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and so give him massive volume in terms of a green light. Give him lower stakes and lower pressure to perform. And that's when he's done his best. And the Lakers hopefully are going to be playing in high leverage situations for years to come under an enormous spotlight with a team centered with at least LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I just don't see him necessarily as someone who would fit long term with that at anything more than like three and a half four million dollars right and so if the lakers could actually get him for that then i might consider it if bullock was not brought back because you could then use that exception on kcp instead if you were to tell me kcp will come back for the minimum with maybe a wink and a nod between his agent who happens to be Rich Paul and Rob Palinka, and then you have his bird rights going into the following summer. That to me is a scenario that I could get behind. KCP at the minimum, where he's sort of fighting for minutes and maybe carves out a role where you're not depending on him for very much at all. If you're telling me, though, choose, then I've made my choice. So, There's an element to this where, you know, we're talking about what we want to see. I would suspect that the reality of it is that if the Lakers were to choose between KCP and Reggie Bullock, they would choose KCP and not so much them as it would be the clutch influence, right? That is a a group that's, that's very tight, right? And that's a very tight knit group. And they... I think if things are close with any two free agents and it's between a clutch client and uh, and uh, someone who isn't, it's going to go to the clutch client. And another aspect of this is is that, you know, 
KCP wanted a bigger role. Is this a place where he's going to be able to do that? That was one of his main complaints with Luke is that he lost his starting job two games into the season. Is it going to be something that he's able to, you know, fit in? And and maybe if, you know, they spend all their money elsewhere, he will be guaranteed that sort of bigger role. But these are all factors that go into it. And I just, I have a hard time seeing you know, if, if it's close between Bullock and KCP, and they probably view it that way, I do think KCP is the guy they bring back. Yeah, that would be a shame. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to a member of the starting lineup who the Lakers got on a vet minimum and who's probably the one guy that they signed who outperformed his contract, and that's JaVale McGee. What are your thoughts on, on JaVale and, and kind of what are, what's the range in which you'd like to bring him back in if you want to bring him back at all? I'd bring him back on the minimum. Um, if he wants to run it back at the same salary, then I would say sure. There's The thing is, though, is that the center market in free agency is going to be deep. And I'm not sure if there will not be other options at the minimum that would be potentially better fits for the roster um, all around than McGee. So we can get into some names now if you want, or we can do that in the second half of the pod. But yeah, let's save that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would definitely sort of um, like, hey, we really liked you. We thought you really did well last season, right? All of the glad handing and everything else. But you understand what our priorities are this summer. And so while we continue to do X, Y, and Z, we will um, keep an open dialogue with right. you. Right. right, that sort sort of thing. Like I said, at the minimum, I think that he's a good value. Anything above that, I'm a I'm a no. You know, for me, without looking at the available free agents prior to to doing that, my instinct was like, hey, you know, Javale played really well. He deserves to make a little bit of scratch, right? It, over the the vet minimum, I know that that's what he wants is to make more than that, and I I understood that. I thought that his play warranted it. But when I took a look throughout the league, and not just at the top free agents, right, but the, hey, who can you get for the vet minimum? It is so replete with big men that if the the Lakers are going to have to spend their money wisely by virtue of the fact that they traded nearly everybody to get Anthony Davis, and they've got like six dudes on the roster right now, maybe four of whom are rotation players, then they're going to have to be very efficient with how they spend the rest of their money if they really want to make a title run this year. And so JaVale obviously is is one of the later dominoes as well. You want to spend the bulk of your money first. But I still think that you wait to see if you can get one of those guys, that those other guys that are available. And that's just a matter of supply and demand. It's nothing against JaVale. I think that in crunch time, it's going to be Anthony Davis at the five. And that's something that, so you're going to want a guy who can take, you know, 15 to 18 minutes at that spot. And JaVale really fits that, but so do a lot of other guys. And if and I, I look to not spend money in that place because of that. Well, I would say too that you could also go a Warriors model where you get, you know, where you have maybe th- three centers on. Sure. Well, 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 on your roster, right? And don't necessarily want to say, okay, JaVale, here's 18 minutes a night. You may want JaVale on your team, but if you had a secondary option at center as well, besides Anthony Davis, who will play some minutes there too, then you want to be able to pivot 
to that player as well. And the same idea that you spoke about with KCP and potentially wanting a bigger role this season, I think a lot of guys are going to have saucer eyes when it comes to the Lakers roster in terms of what a potential role will be on a team that does not have currently a lot of rotation players on well, well, on it. But when you have 13 or 14 or potentially 15, like a full roster, 15 players, then the coach is going to have options. And you're going to want, you know, two or three additional big men outside of Anthony Davis, at least two of those who can play legitimate center minutes, right? In both small lineups like Mo Wagner, for example, if 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 he's on the roster next season, he may get some minutes at center. Anthony Davis may get some minutes at center. If you sign two well, well two additional players, could JaVale find his find himself on the outside looking in in terms of real rotation minutes and ultimately become a situational player? And if that's the case, do you have sort of grumblings on on your hands. You would hope that that's not the case, but it happened last year. Yes, it did. So, so, you know, like, like I said, I'd be happy to keep an open dialogue with, with JaVale. Um, He's just, just, he's just not a guy that I'm looking at and saying, oh, well, yes, yes, yes. Right. It's sort of, okay, well, let's explore things a little bit more. Absolutely. And and your point about what the Lakers have to offer besides, you know, all the Lakers exceptionalism stuff that we talk about, about the Lakers being a historic franchise and LA being a great city to live in and all of that. The one thing that the Lakers have to offer that's a little different from other teams that could be appealing to uh, a vet minimum level free agent is playing time, right? Most of the time when teams are signing guys to these types of contracts, they're like 10th or 11th, 11th men type, on the roster and with the Lakers it's there's a very good chance that like the seventh man is on a vet minimum and that's something that we'll get into more of the lame names later but someone like Nerlens Noel right if does he come over would he be interested as a clutch client by the way to be someone who comes over on a vet minimum type of deal, but with the prospects of, hey, I'm going to play 20, 22 minutes a game where I might not get that opportunity elsewhere. And this gives me an opportunity to get, if I play well, to get a big contract next summer, where if you don't get that type of playing time coming your way, you're not, you you have less of an opportunity to get those type of contracts. So I think we're on the same page with JaVale on that. So let's move on to uh, the two two-way guys. We'll do these guys in a package deal because I, I would suspect we're on the same page here. But last year we had Alex Crusoe and Jonathan Williams both play pretty significant time with the Lakers uh, at different points of the season. Caruso was fantastic to end the season, but that's also a kind of a weird time of year where guys will put up numbers. But I, I my impression was... I was watching him. I was like, this dude's an NBA player. Like he belongs on an NBA roster full time and ideally as a third point guard, but with a shot to get backup minutes. And with the way the Lakers roster looks right now, they with with no guards on it, really. Uh, I, I think that he has a, a crack at that with the Lakers. Um, are, are you down with bringing Crusoe back? Uh, I, I'd, I'd guess at a vet minimum salary or at the at the league minimum. I don't know if he qualifies for a vet minimum at that point, but for a league minimum salary. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What about uh, Jonathan Williams? Um, no. So my first instinct is no, just based off of all of the things that we said about JaVale McGee. And not because Williams is the same type of player as McGee. They, they, 
totally different skill sets and and all of that. But just from the the perspective of there are a lot of big men who are going to be out there. And I think the Lakers might be able to find higher quality players who could actually be priorities over Williams. Now, if the Lakers get to 12, 13 players on their roster and they've essentially filled out what is their rotation, right, with all of those guys and there's one roster spot left or two roster spots left, I would bring Williams back at that point. But I would not prioritize him within the context of you're someone who we would look to as when we go deeper into our bench that we would want you to play. Yeah, and that's something that I'm in a similar position with Williams. He's not, you know, the first in the first five bigs that you would prioritize. The one thing I will say about this team is that I think they're going to need energy guys. I think that on this type of team, your Caruso's, your Jamario Jones, Jonathan Williams types, those guys who can run and set hard picks and just but really go all out on a team that I think is going to be really heavily reliant on LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which would be true of any team that involves those two. But with the rest of the roster as thin as it is, I think their burden is going to be even more so than in normal circumstances. And you're going to want other guys to do the dirty work, the little things and all those cliches. Yeah as much as possible to alleviate that burden from those guys. And a guy like Jonathan Williams really appeals to me in that sense. Yeah, I mean, could he be brought back on a two-way contract? Could he be someone... like? I think that a player like Williams probably has more value as a practice player at this point. And Mm. if there were actually like practice squad slots like there were in the NFL, (laughs) he would be one of the first guys I would look to to sign to one of those types of contracts, right? I would love to have him back with the South Bay Lakers if that was an option, see if he could um, find some spot minutes, some rotation minutes, um, and some time up on the big roster when load management came up. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I, I'm a little more open to, you know, by the time we get to that 14th or 15th slot, he's exactly the type of guy that I want in that type of role that can give you those yeah. spot minutes. And, and even above, like for me, you know, you want a Nerlens Noel type if that is a guy that you want to go after, playing that 20, 22 minutes or so. But having a guy who can fill in and will give reliable energy in that 14th or 15th spot, like I, I would want both if if in that type of scenario. I could- and and I could get on board with that too. I you you know I'm not going to push him out or anything like that. Like I like him. I'm just not sure. He's just not someone you prioritize. I yeah, get it. like I get like it. he's an end of the bench guy, not necessarily an end of the rotation guy. And I and when I'm talking about like free agent priorities or this conversation specifically, I'm still looking at what is the team going to do about the end of the rotation rather than at the end of the bench. If it comes down to the end of the bench, like I said, and it's roster spot 14, yeah, bring him back. If you've already done all the work to get you to that point. Yeah, a, a lot of this uh, first segment and what we do with the guys that are coming back is really dependent upon what happens 
in what we're going to talk about in the next segment. So we'll get to that in a moment. Let's uh, have a word from our friends at Harry's who are making sure that our listeners are shaving comfortably. If you go to harrys.com backslash blue wire, you can save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com backslash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love our shave, let them know and we'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, so now let's get to the fun part. We're going to put a couple parameters on this as we look around the league for what the Lakers wait, are going wait, to do wait, with wait, their wait. cap space. Wait, are we not going to bring up Rajon Rondo? Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> was So was that a thing? So are we just moving on? Because if we're moving on, that's fantastic. I just so, wanted to, I like, I just wanted to purposefully say, this is my subconscious. Like, I I looked up, I had like a list pulled up and everything. I was like, yep, went through everybody. Uh, we didn't talk about Lance either, right? Are are we no? Are we no on both of those guys? Do we need to go into this? So I'm a no on Rondo. Lance is an interesting case. He had his oh, best Jesus. seasons basically under Frank Vogel. So uh-huh. that would be the only sort of like. Vogel asked about, I would hope I would have some input on roster construction, right? That was sort of a thing. I'm not saying that I'd want Lance back. I would kind of be, I would lean no on that. If there was a reason that he would be back and it was Vogel who was sort of lobbying for that, and he then had the support of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I could get on board for like a minimum contract for Lance Stevenson. It, it'd have to be a vet minimum. And, and like, I, I'd go more toward not at all for either guy. Sure. Definitely no on Rondo. And I understand your point about Lance. And he, he was okay last season. But even then, like, he was okay at doing what he does. And I, I, I just don't think this team needs, especially if we're thinking toward the May and June months of the season of where this team really wants to go, those guys that are, are really ball dominant, and like we're, we've got our guys that you can give the ball to. The Lakers can have a superstar on the floor forty eight minutes a game, and can, like, can we get guys that can play off of them rather than dribble for most of the clock? Like, we don't need that. Sure. Look, I'm with you. That was my only point. I will say that the wing market is super thin. At so we talked about all like the quantity of bigs that could potentially be available at like minimum, hopefully minimum contracts um the number of wings that you'll get that is true at that dollar amount is is super slim and so when you talked about sort of supply and demand that works the other way too absolutely and all the things you said about jonathan williams lance is not an energy guy he is not one of those guys who's going to do all of the little things he is not any of that (laughs) right? He is sort of a fringe rotation player who you could probably plug in there for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, not every night, but on a given night. And probably, you know, go out there and throw some innings 
for us. Yeah, and he's a guy when he's got it going, right? He can he can he can, I don't he can say affect take the over game. a game. He can affect a game in a positive way or a negative way in, in yes. a three or four minute stretch, right? So I will give you that. So I'm not arguing for Lance specifically. It's more the idea of building out a roster and with the resources that the Lakers are going to have available, which I think is is a good point to pivot towards what are the Lakers going to have available, right? Because this is where the salary cap stuff and how they're going to spend spend this money really is going to matter. Because I feel like the tenor of our conversation to this point has almost been like, well, they're going to need to sign all of these minimum guys and guys with like the room exception. Yeah, but I think yeah. that that's under the scenario that they're actually spending the bulk or all of their cap space on a single player. Sure. And and uh, I, I admit that, you know, part of this is me being up in my feelings and not wanting to see repeats of what they did last year and how they went about it. But there is a point to be made regarding the lack of depth of wings in the free agent market, certainly at the vet minimum. There are wings, but you're probably going to have to pay a little more for them than the vet minimum. And Lance has the experience with Vogel. I, I mean... All of those are fair points. I still would prefer if he's not on the roster next season, but um, fair points. So let's let's get to the fun stuff. Let's get to the who who else can we get coming? Here are the parameters for the sake of good conversation. The Lakers have let it be known that with all of the scuttlebutt about will they have this amount of cap space or that amount of cap space, depending on how they go about executing the Anthony Davis trade when it becomes finalized, anywhere between 23 and 32 and change. I will take them at their word that they can get to what they need to get to if they need to get it. So let's operate under the assumption that they have 32 million to work with or that that max cap space for a seven to nine year service guy. And that includes Kyrie, Kamba, all those guys. They'd be right below that number, I think. I think that a max salary for those players is, I think, 32.7. Right. And the Lakers would have, I think they'd be about five or 600K short of that at the number that they'd be at. But I think that's only if they traded those guys in a separate deal. Without getting too in the weeds, if they included it in the Anthony Davis trade, I think they can get to that 32-7 based on the timing of, you know, you. sign the free agents first. And so I, okay. I do think they can get to the full max. If they trade those guys in a separate deal, then I believe you're correct. They get right to $32 million. And then we're also waiting for the official cap from the NBA yes. and what that's going to be. So that'll affect it a little bit in one direction or another. Um, but for the sake of argument, let's say that they have, they have what they need. They have what they need. We'll take their, their word at that. Then secondly, we're, we'll operate under the, the condition that Kawhi isn't coming and that Kyrie isn't coming. He's going to Brooklyn. What now? What's the, before we get into the specifics, if the Lakers do not get one of those two, like obvious max guys, what are the next steps from there? Okay. So let's also take Clay Thompson off the board. Right. Clay Thompson's going to stay in Golden State. Let's take Kevin Durant off the board. Kevin mm-hmm. Durant is a 10-year-plus free agent. His max is much higher. Correct. And so the Lake, they no longer have that space to get Kevin Durant. The next several players who are talked about as being sort of in that mix to receive a max-level contract 
um, in the seven to nine year range are Jimmy Butler, Kemba Walker, Chris Middleton, and Tobias Harris. Right. So let me put a question to you. Out of all those names I just told you, do any of those guys actually deserve the seven to nine year max for the Lakers? If you were the Lakers, would you pay them? I would pay Jimmy the seven to nine year max, and he's the only one on that list. I agree. Is that someone who you would actually say, okay, all of these other guys are off the board, let's chase Jimmy Butler? Yeah, I, if 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 we had a shot at Butler and it doesn't sound currently like the Lakers are like it, you're not hearing many rumors about him at, at the very least. No, um, a lot of the stuff is saying he's going back to Philly. That they've right. got a five year offer that they're going to prepare for him. Right. We had some noise about uh, Houston wanting to execute a, a sign and trade that would sure. require several things happening, but the Lakers have not been a uh, name that comes up in that. And if Butler is going to go after the money, he stays in Philly for those five years, gets that extra year of guaranteed money, the higher raises and all of that. So for, again, for the sake of conversation, let's let's put Butler off the table. If we both think think that he's the guy that we both go, yeah, go after him. Now what? Okay, so you've got Kem, Kemba Walker. Would you pay Kemba Walker the max? I would not. I've soured on him a little bit after watching some tape. And there's also, you know, who knows how much value to put on round, round numbers and whatnot. But the age of 30 is not terribly kind and 30 and afterward to guys his size. And... He comes with issues on the defensive end from a perspective of just not being big enough to do certain things like switch and, uh, you know, some some of the he, – he seems to me like a guy that would get picked on in the playoffs. And some of the other people that we're going to talk about are also fit that description but are not as small. I'm a little scared off from paying a guy his size that much money at his age. How about you? Yeah, so he <laughs> – I made this handy little chart that, mm-hmm. and I sent it to you. Yeah, yeah. So I have all these columns about how, what I think that I would pay them if I were running the Lakers and sort of where their contract value would be for me. And Kemba is in my handy CAD category saying not the max, but they'll get the max. So I'm good unless they come at a cheaper price. That actually, that very wordy title actually is the title on the document too in the yes. column. It's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, which is very Darius-like. Yes. So I would not pay Kemba the max. If Kemba were going to take less than the max, maybe I don't want to say significantly less, but less, um, I would be very much open to a conversation with Kemba Walker at that point. What that number would be, I'm open to having a dialogue with you about that. Well, let me ask you this in a broader sense, because this will apply to a few of the players that we're talking to. How much does it matter to overpay for a guy by a couple of million dollars at this point of the Lakers rebuilding process, right? Like they, they are filling in the last parts. They've got their number one guy. They got their number two guy, one A, one B, however you want to phrase it. They have the core of the team, right? The main guys. And right now they're filling it out. So if you're talking like Kemba at 32 is a no, but is he at like 29 or 30? A yes. And all of this is a, you know, mental exercise because he's going to get the max from somebody as you rightfully put forward. But it's more in a larger picture sense of how much does it matter? 
I'm not talking Mozgov or Dang type contracts, but like a guy that's worth 20 million. How much does it matter if you pay him 24? You know, I mean, in a case by case basis, probably not much. In the aggregate, I think it matters a fair amount. Okay. Okay. And and so if you're overpaying Kemba Walker by four or six million dollars, and this matters less within uh, this summer scenario, right? I think stuff like this matters more when you're building out your team long term. I'm never quite one to like count the player's money or mm-hmm. shed tears over how much money an organization is spending. <laughs> yes. Right? I think uh-huh. that fans love to get cute about that stuff. I've always said it's not my money. Right. So I couldn't care less. And some fans take the approach, well, it is my money. I watch them on TV and go to the games and buy their jerseys. And it's just like, okay, okay slugger. Let's right. let's back it up a little bit. So um, I have a number for Kemba Walker that I'd be comfortable at. That number is significant. And I mean, I say significant because this is like a huge sum of money to me. Maybe it's not a huge sum of money to someone who's going to make over $100 million. But if... The Lakers were able to get into a conversation with Kem Kemba Walker and his contract was in the twenty-five to twenty-seven million dollar range, I'd be open to having a conversation at that mm-hmm. number. Anything above that, I would feel a little bit more I'm not sure. One of the things, and sorry, I'm gonna go on a tan tangent here, but it's important to the context of this conversation about free agents and dollar allocations and and contracts. One of the things that I'm always looking for with players is a point you brought up about JaVale McGee earlier, which is outperforming the value of your contract, right? Is like your production goes above and beyond that. There are there are certain classes of players that do this way more than others. They're max players and they're players on rookie scale contracts, right? I feel like everyone else typically is going to be either paid what they're worth or slightly overpaid. There are other examples like Steph Curry, for example, on on his last contract, or maybe Chris Middleton, right? Guys who who made sort of a big rise or had injury issues that impacted their, their contract. But for the most part, the very best players who were on max contracts, the Durants, the Kawhis, the LeBron Jameses, those guys outperform. And guys who are on rookie scale scale contracts outperform. And then there are guys like JaVale last year too, veteran minimum guys who actually provide high-level production. For everyone else, I'm looking to try to get them at a contract value where they are either rightfully paid or have the ability to outperform their their contract Kemba this Walker, is a tough this is a tough market to do that in my man with all of the there's I, I saw Kevin O'Connor tweeted out there was like 474 million dollars of cap space and that's almost as much as there was in the summer of 2016 so what you're saying is def, definitely on point but that's going to be difficult to execute if I had my brother so we took Kawhi and Kyrie off off of the table and we talked about Jimmy Butler already but honestly like if you were to ask me a gun to my head who from this group am I comfortable with paying their actual max salary the answer to that is probably only Kawhi Leonard interesting interesting everyone else I have enough questions about where I would say mm. like in the vacuum I would probably say no we don't live in a vacuum 
and beggars can't be choosers and there's all kinds of you know right. colloquiums that we could bring to the ta- table here fact of the matter is though is that at a max salary slot i'd say give me Kawhi or let's do something else and now the situation starts to get different when you're talking about maybe one of the next guys that we should talk about on yeah. on mm-hmm. on our list so let's talk about D'Angelo let's, Russell. Yeah. So on your not max, but we'll get max. So I'm good unless they're cheaper column. D'Angelo Russell is one of those names. Now, D'Angelo is not eligible for the same max deal that your Kemba's and Kawhi's and Kyrie and Butler are all eligible for. His max is in the 27 million ish type of range. And I would agree with you that I would not max him out if that if it came to that. But there is a price point where it starts to get interesting with him. And he has been the guy that in the lead up to free agency has been most tied to the Lakers, which is incredible considering the context and history of the Lakers and D'Angelo Russell. But that's where we stand right now. There's interest on his side. There's interest on the Lakers side. And, uh, you know, who knows? It's lying season, as you always like to to say. But it it is something that makes a certain degree of sense for both parties where Russell, you know, by some accounts wants to be in a bigger market. He uh, would have the point guard spot and and, and that role of the back, you know, the leader of the backcourt all to himself. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are two of his idols, two guys, you know, he was asked couple years back by Serena Winters, who his all-time top five would be. And both of those guys were in that long before they were, you know, a a flicker in the Lakers' eyes in in terms of being on the team. So there are reasons for him to come. The Lakers can pay him. And his market, in despite there being so much money out there, his particular market in his price range doesn't look to be as robust as it is for other guys. So he could potentially be had for less. Where does that range look like for you? Probably around 22 or 23 million. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with that too. I've talked about this before in, in my writing, but the Lakers sort of face a math problem, right? And it's sort of what we've been getting at with this whole calm conversation to, to this point. Now there's variables at play here. I happen to think Anthony Davis is not going to waive his trade bonus unless the Lakers are actually bringing back a max player. Right. Right. However, let's actually throw that logic out the window for a second. And let's still operate under the premise that the Lakers have $32 million to spend in cap space. If you could get D'Angelo Russell at a starting salary of 22 or 23 million, $3 million, still have 9 to $10 million in cap space, which is basically what it's about the equivalent of the full mid-level exception for teams that are over the cap, but not in the luxury tax. They then have more spending power to fill out their roster. And so not only would they be able to potentially get a player like D'Angelo Russell, who fills a major need in the backcourt, as another ball handler, he can play in lineups with LeBron James as a tandem, and he could play in lineup combinations with Anthony Davis very well, right, as a tandem as well. And if you're projecting long, well, long term, his timeline lines up very well 
with where Anthony Davis is, is as well. And so you're likely paying Russell into what are going to be the very beginnings of his prime years. That's right. Which I think is where you're going to get his best production, basically. That's right. So if you can get Russell at 22 or $23 million a year and then maybe sign a shooting guard at a $9 million amount or a $10 million amount, and there are guys who fit in that mold, right? Yeah, I mean, at least you got a starting five at that point, right? Yes, and your starting five then would be like D'Angelo Russell and Kyle Kuzma, who have become fast friends this summer, if you follow either on Instagram. (laughs) And then you've got LeBron James, and you've got Anthony Davis, and then you can find a shooting guard, like maybe Danny Green. Right. I think he gets more than nine or ten, but yes, the the point is taken for sure. Right. So Russell's a very interesting piece to me. Also, too, look, Russell's played in Los Angeles, and he's played in New York. One of the major teams who has a needed point guard and who has cap space to spend is the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers were supposedly looking at Mike Conley before Mike Conley was traded to Utah. And they've been a rumored destination for, like, Ricky Rubio as well. But who's D'Angelo Russell's agent? Aaron Mintz. Aaron Mintz, (laughs) who also represents Paul George, who had a falling out with the Indiana Pacers and who asked to be traded from there. Now, it's a very different situation now, and agents work for the players. The players don't work for the agent, right? I can say all of that. I just happen to think that part of me feels like D'Angelo Russell's gotten quite accustomed to playing under the bright lights in a coastal city. And it would not surprise me at all, besides all of the stuff that you brought up earlier and what we've been discussing so far, skill set and fit within the roster and this, this, that, and the other, that he would not mind playing in a big market. And say if it was a choice between going to Los Angeles and taking 22 or $23 million and maybe going to, say, Phoenix to play with another one of his good friends, Devin Booker, right, right mm-hmm. for his full max, $27 million. Is it worth taking over the life of maybe a three-year, like a four-year contract, but structured like LeBron James, right? Like um, a three plus one with a player option for four-year four. If he were... I think the math works out to something like he'd be losing $18 million over the life of the three-year contract before he had to make a decision on on his opt-out. Is it worth it to play with LeBron James and Anthony Davis in Los Angeles and take that lesser amount of money over the span of three years and then go back in potentially to free agency again when you're 26 or 27 years old and right dead in the middle of of your prime or go play with a cellar dweller in Phoenix, although someone where you could then form like a very lethal scoring backcourt tandem with your For good sure. friend Devin Booker. And those are types of choices that will be available to him if he gets his free agent rights renounced. So I, I'd like Russell more in the $20 million range, but with the caveat that what I said earlier, if you got to push that up to 22, 23, I, I'm fine. Like that's, that is not going to be the difference between getting a guy and not getting a guy. A couple of concerns is that if you've got 
that core four of Russell, Kuzma, LeBron, and Anthony Davis, three of those guys are unreliable on defense at best to bad at worst, with Anthony Davis being the lone exception, right? So everybody else, everybody else, and you're talking room exception and vet minimum guys, right, have to be able to defend, have to, right? Now, I think that combination scores a crap load of points i think the lakers need somebody who can dribble the ball and do you know come off of ball screens and do all of the things full court and half court that you need a point guard to do i think that it's foolish to ask lebron to carry that around and just be completely surrounded by catch and shoot guys so russell adds a lot of value there i think the pick and roll combinations with Russell and AD, Russell and LeBron, LeBron and AD, I think are all absolutely wonderful. Russell can operate off of them. He shot 39.4% from on his catch and shoot threes this season. So any, you know, LeBron AD pick and roll on the strong side, skip pass over to Russell for either a catch and shoot or flowing into a ball screen for himself, which is also a very high end option. Like I think that offense is just really spectacular and a really great fit together. I, I have concerns on the defensive end though. And so they'd be terrible defensively. Like you don't got to. You don't got to sugarcoat it, man. Like, so, so can you win like that? So, so can you? Yes. Can they get to where they ultimately? You think so? Yes. They'd be very much, I feel like, built in the mold of like the 2017 Cavs. Mm-hmm. They got they got smoked by the time when they finally met a good team, though. It wasn't until the finals, though. I think you're underselling the Warriors by calling them a good team. Well, yeah, right? sure, so, sure. So, so I mean, that was a historical team. And no, probably that's a fair one point. of fair the point. teams that if if you were to t- take the 2017 Cavs and drop them into any number of other eras with high level teams. See, I, I, I want to push back on that just a little bit, though, in that, sure, like, sure. yes, the Warriors were a historic team. But what were the Western Conference finals like? Right. Like that you you could you could see that the Warriors were better than Houston, but Houston, like was right there with them. You know what I'm saying? Like they were a tier below them, but it wasn't the chasm that it was the difference between the Golden State Warriors and the Cavs. So I hear what you're saying. I just think that when it comes right down to it, the point you brought up earlier about the rest of the roster construction is super important. I think that though... If you can be a team who is consistently pressuring the other team to keep up offensively, that that is an effective way to play deep into the playoffs and and even win a championship. I don't think that when it comes... So Draymond Green has that famous quote about 16 game game players, right? I also think that there are 16 game teams. Yeah. And, and when it comes right down to it, you're talking about a handful of possessions over the course of a single game that maybe you need a stop or maybe you need a big basket or maybe you need both and when it comes right down to it the margins can be very slim and you come out on top of those on two or three out of four possessions and the game tilts your way and you give me a team with an offense that is that high powered or potential to be that that high powered i'm probably going to take my chances and say okay we need 110 points tonight to win i think we're going to get it 
You know what I mean? Sure, and, sure. And that's just sort of where I'm at with that. Is it my ideal way to build a team? No, it's not. My ideal way to build build the team is, no, you don't sign D'Angelo Russell. You sign Kawhi Leonard. Right, right, right. Like, that's my ideal way is flank Anthony Davis and then LeBron James with the best two-way players imaginable that money can buy you and then go to war. That's yeah. the way you win a championship, right? But if those options are off of the table, then, okay, let's go this way instead. And over the course of not only this upcoming season, but the next two and three seasons through the life of LeBron James's contract, you continue to build out your roster in a way to support those guys on both sides of the ball the way that you need to. Where I think the Cavs went wrong is where they started to say, all right, let's go get a Kyle Korver and let's go get all of these other guys who were all sort of one-way players and say, we're skewing all the way in this direction Sure. in order to build the best ro- roster imaginable. And that's where I think that you could get in trouble. But next year's roster, if it's going to be D'Angelo Russell, y- y- yeah, sign me up <laughs> with the caveat that it's at the money that we were just discussing. No, that's fair. That's fair. Real quick, let's let's keep this one brief. But uh, where does Tobias Harris land on your radar? Um, somewhere either on the East Coast or back with the Clippers. <laughs> yeah, man, he's a, a high teens guy for me, and he's a lot less valuable because he's uh, the Lakers have front court players, right? And it's one thing to be like, hey, you know, Kawhi Leonard, who cares what position he plays? Like, you know, play him wherever you want. There's that great quote. Uh, from Bobby Knight, you know, the old story about, so Portland in 1983, I believe, had drafted Clyde Drexler to be their shooting guard. And in 1984, they had the second pick in the NBA draft. And Bobby Knight had just coached Team USA and was raving about this kid, Michael Jordan, who'd been on the Team USA and was talking to his buddy, who was the Portland GM at the time. And there's a reason we don't remember that guy's name. And anyway, he was saying, this kid's unbelievable. You got to draft him, right? And the Portland GM's like, you know, well, we we drafted we drafted Clyde Drexler last year. We have a shooting guard. What we really need is a center. And Bobby Knight screamed at him with expletives. Well, if you then draft Michael Jordan and play him at effing center, right? And so it's a similar type of thing with Kawhi. If you get him, it doesn't matter. But when it comes to guys like Tobias Harris, then, you know, then it starts to matter that our other guys are Kuzma and LeBron and Anthony Davis, and they all kind of overlap with him. The thing I would say too, and I think that this sums it up specifically with, with Harris, is I think that Harris is maybe a long-term goal of what you might want Kyle Kuzma to be. And Kyle, mm-hmm. and, and Kyle Kuzma is probably maybe 75% of the player that Tobias Harris is now. And that yeah. last 25% is a big gap to close, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. Th- that's the leap that you want a player to make, which a lot of players just never make that leap. That said, if Kyle Kuzma is going to give you 75% of the production or be 75% of the player that Tobias Harris is, well, Kyle Kuzma is going to make about... I don't know, one twelfth, <laughs> right? Like Tobias yeah. Harris is going to make 12 times the amount of money that Kyle Kuzma is going to make next season. And when you're talking about the value add for a contract, that's like, 
the biggest example that I can provide in terms of roster construction and aligning the value of the dollars that you're allocating to to players and building it out in a way that makes the most sense. Absolutely. So let's move on then to um, last part, the, the room exception and vet minimum type of guys. Who are some of your favorite potential candidates in that in that range? So I think ideally you want a wing with the room exception, a wing or a point guard, depending on what happens in free agency. And so, you know, Wayne Ellington, potentially Reggie Bullock. I think that this guy will cost more money. Maybe all of these guys will cost more money than this, right? But Terrence Ross. Yeah, um, he'll get more for sure. For sure, right? Trevor Ariza, potentially. It's interesting. I think I think Ariza... I think Ariza is closer to a vet minimum guy these days. You I think, think so? he's co- I think he's close to toasty. Like he might be a split the like he might be a split the room exception. Like a right? two or three yeah, million like, type of like, guy. Oh, yeah. you get more than the vet minimum. Anyways, an an interesting guy, even though he's probably um, a duplicate to Kuzma to a certain extent. Um, Damari Carroll mm-hmm. would be mm-hmm. an interesting guy to me. If you're talking more point guards, um, he'll probably get more money than this or he'll be back in Golden State. But Quinn Cook is a guy who is super interesting to me. TJ McConnell, he may not be worth the full amount at that dollar amount for mm-hmm. me, for for the Lakers, because I think that he's a pure backup. If you're talking bigs, someone like Ed Davis, Taj Gibson is a super interesting guy to me. Yeah, I, he's I, on my list. Yeah, I, I think he can play some center, but can also play some power forward. Uh, next to Davis, Darren Collison, Corey Joseph, all of these are guys who are either like, okay, you're you're a big or you're a shooter or you're a point guard, which coincidentally is the Lakers said if they're not able to get a max free agent, then their priorities are going to be, you know, a shooter, a big or a point guard. And right. and so I actually think that those are needs in general, right? Of, of course, sure. the Lakers sure. only have six players, so everything's a need. But in reality, I think that those are super important qualities that this team is going to need to build itself out. And so at, at the room exception, those are my guys. Do you have a more expanded list than that? Yeah, I've got a, got a few other guys. Um, at, at the room exception, Taj Gibson is on my list for sure. Um a couple of guys I'd be looking at, um, or another room exception guy. I, I like Iman Shumpert. He's a guy oh. that's played with LeBron in the sure. past that I think can give you some value defensively on the wing and has developed into a respectable catch and shoot type of threat. Um, I think he'd be an interesting option. Um, Reggie Bullock is high high up on that list for me. Taj Gibson, as he, as as we said. For vet minimum types or somebody in between that, um, there are a few, few names a guy I really like, real dark horse candidate, and I don't think they'd let him go, but they're looking to throw money around. I really like Salah Mejri, who's the backup big in Dallas. He's just yeah. a big, beefy man who knows how to defend and is very smart. And They've got um, a lot of bigs there. They do, and they might not want to, you know— pay all of them, which isn't to say that you give a guy like Mejri a lot of money. He's an analytics darling. He's a guy that always ranks very highly in RPM and things like that. He's a team guy who his team is always better when he's on the floor. I don't think I'd give him a full room exception, um, but, you know, somewhere, if, if you were to split the room exception between, like, Ariza and and him, I think that's a, a route that's, um, you know, that's you could potentially go. 
Noah Vonley, I'm a little bit interested in. Uh, he'd you know, be for vet minimum. Nerland's Noel, vet minimum. One guy I really like is Rashawn Holmes, who's kind of bounced around and is a small ball five type that can stretch the floor a little bit, um, runs the floor really well. I think he'd vibe really well with um, with LeBron and, and AD. Then you've got guys like Alex Lynn and Robin Lopez are, are possibilities. Jared Dudley, I think he's one of the smartest guys in the NBA. He's a guy I'd really want for the vet minimum. Um, and then that's about it on the list. I think Seth Curry probably gets a little more than what we're talking about here. Um, I think I think Seth is going to make him between 6 and $10 million a year, man. I, I think you're probably right on like that. Like in this market. For me, um, all of those guys are... I think oh, one more. I'm sorry. Austin Rivers. I think Austin Rivers is an underrated defensive player who can yeah. provide some combo guardish type stuff uh, alongside LeBron and AD. Yeah, I'm not. So I like Rivers fine as a player. I really do. <laughs> um, he's just one of those guys that I'm not necessarily sure I want him in the mix per se. Personality wise. Yeah. Or I, I I guess I just don't like watching him play. <laughs> you know, I can respect that. Like, we're we're gonna be a uh, kind of beggars can't be choosers in yes, some ways. Uh, and and if Rivers would come for the minimum, I I think he's gonna get more than that. Honestly, like mm-hmm. I know that he he sort of ended up taking like little money with Houston, but that was because of the trade to Washington and then getting released and Washington was in like a bad situation and they just started to let guys go. I think. Rivers's market will rebound some. He played some decent to good playoff minutes for the Rockets this year, and and so I actually think that he'll he'll probably be in between the room exception or maybe even like at that taxpayer level, like mid level exception dollar amount for contract value. Um, a couple of other min well minimum guys that that I like um, who could actually soak up some minutes um, if not nightly. Then every other night, Vince Carter is oh, yeah. an interesting mm-hmm. guy mm-hmm. to me. You mentioned Rob Ben Lopez. He was on my list as well. He may get more than the minimum, but if he would come for for the minimum, I I definitely like that. Joakim Noah is an interesting defensive big man target that I would like. I also like his passing. Um, really good screen setter. Some other guys, uh, Costa Kufus from Sacramento as like sort of another big man option, backup big. I had Noah Vonley on on my list as well. Dabo Cephalosha. Oh yes, good one. Is, good one. Is yes. a wing who I like who could potentially be had at at that dollar amount. If you're looking at at guard types, um Jeremy Lin could be an option, someone who could play some credible backup point guard minutes for you. Trey Burke is another option. Trey Burke is another name who I'm actually, he's actually a guy that I might target. Like he might be a guy who I'd call early in free agency. Hmm. Interesting. Not to, not to say we're going to give you a bunch of money, but just to say, Hey, keep us in mind. That's right. If if you're thinking about signing like a $2 million deal somewhere, would you want to play for us for that amount or a little bit less? And, have and you got like some playing time spot. in front of you. Yeah. 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 A veteran guy, Devin Harris. I know that he's older. Ian Clark is another sort of guard sized guy who does 
shooting type things, but isn't really a ball handler point guard. I think that he's a guy who you could maybe play off of a guy like in LeBron centric lineups and you would make Krangis really happy. <laughs> yes. Yes. I always think of him and I think him and uh, Ian Clark. Yes. Um, another guy. And these are just a couple of sort of like um, second draft type guys, guys who had lottery ped degree, but then just sort of never caught on or made it. Uh, Vonley fits that mold too, who right. you brought up earlier, but um, Mario Hazonia, uh-huh. who was on the Knicks. I thought of him. I've just watched him too much. Like that, just, He's just not good. Like I, I just don't think it's there. Yeah, and that could be true. Also, Dragon Bender who is another same, guy same, same there. right yeah. like i yeah. know that these guys are to me those are more guys who are like roster spots 11 through 14 and not roster spots like 8 through 10 right see to to me even then like that's a guy that's more appropriate for where the Lakers have been the last couple of years in terms of like, hey, you want to sign a guy and hope that he finds something with you and that, you know, like you you find something that you can that can stick long term. But like I can't depend on either of those guys to contribute really in any way this year. And I think they need to be looking for guys like that, sure. even though they don't have much money to work with. It, they've got to be able to play right now. What about uh, two more names for you? Quick, rapid fire. Uh, Nick Stauskas. Yes. DeAndre Jordan. I think he'll make more than the room exception. Okay. But but yes, I would be interested for sure. I think he kind of, you know, I don't think he was totally engaged this year in Dallas and in uh, in New York. And I think he's still got more in the tank than than what he showed. But I've always liked DeAndre, his game. So maybe I'm I'm overrating him at this point. But I do think he gets a little more than that. So we've gone long, long here, but I want to ask you just one more question. And maybe this is, you know, since this is the free agency preview and we're probably not going to record again before free agency starts. That's right. The whole approach that we've taken to this podcast has basically been all of the eggs in one basket approach. We went from what do we think about all of these guys who are going to make a lot of money? And then what do we think of all of these guys who we think are going to make no money at all? And that's basically indicative of the approach of <laughs> of the Lakers are going to, this is the strategy, right? Spend it all on one guy and then fill in the roster with, with the rest. There is a real possibility that that's not what happens. And so I just wanted to ask you, are you comfortable pivoting to, instead of looking at sort of max guys or max guys and room exception and minimum guys and instead looking at guys in the sort of oh here's a here's a guy who's going to make 15 million dollars and here's a guy who's going to make 10 million dollars and here's a guy who's going to make 6 million dollars and now suddenly that's our that's the 27 million dollars that the Lakers had to spend would you be comfortable if that was the primary approach first of all and then how comfortable are you feeling about the people who are in charge actually building out the roster with that approach? I, I feel like you're baiting me here. Uh, so 
I'll start with that one. I, I don't feel comfortable with it, right? Like, this is the thing that I'm most nervous about. This is also why I want them to go get obvious guys, right? Because there is less room to screw up when it's like, hey, that guy's an all-star. We know he's good. Like, go get him, spend all your money on that guy, and then fill out the roster with vet minimums. Because I think that when you disperse that amongst two or three players, then you are asking them to make talent evaluations and nail them in ways that, like, they are signing a guy both to a reasonable contract and getting more value out of them than the rest of the league. Like they have to beat the rest of the league at scouting, which is different than what our scouting department that we laud them for in terms of college scouting, right? This is inner NBA scouting. Yeah, right? this like, is pro player personnel, right? right? And and so can you can they beat the rest of the league at that? I don't think so. And so that's why I wouldn't want them taking that as a primary approach in a normal year. But in this year where there's so much money out there, those guys are going to get paid. There aren't going to be, there isn't going to be value in the in-between spaces. You aren't going to be getting guys at 8 million a year where you're like, where you feel really good. Like, Hey, we got that guy at 8 million a year. You know what I mean? Like maybe there's going to be one or two here and there, but by and large, those are going to be like, guys are going to get overpaid the whole the whole like framework, the way this is set up is that's what it's everything's pointing to. So get the obvious guys up top, get the guys who are left over at the bottom and don't mess around that much in between. Now, if you get D'Angelo at around 20 and you got 10 to 12 million to play with after that, and that means that you can go get another guy in that range. Okay. Hey, you know, you were able to get two good players in that range. And that's great because you've got that money left over. But at that as like the way that you go about it and the plan in the first place, no. Yeah. I'm on board with what you're saying. Like my strong preference is to chase the max guys and chase them hard, right? Chase them with whatever pitch that you have, bring LeBron and Anthony Davis, bring a giant truck of money, bring whatever you can bring to get one of the top guys on board. And so we took Kawhi off the board. We took Kyrie off the board. I'm assuming since we took them off the board, those would be your top two targets? Yeah. I mean, Kyrie, I've got my... Res- Kawhi's a no-duh one, right? And Kyrie, I've got my reservations about, but he's done it, man, at the highest levels alongside LeBron. Um, he's 26 years old. He's, you know, mercurial at best. And I I think they're, when you put that in the crucible of Los Angeles and the Lakers, that there's potential for an explosive locker room there. And I don't discount that. But at the end of the day, like, I know he can do it at the highest levels. I know that Jimmy Butler is a baller in the playoffs. And after that, with the exception of Middleton, I can't say that about anybody else, that I know that they're a playoff performer. So for me, Kyrie, yeah, he, he's up there at the top, especially considering that he can handle those, we need another guy that can dribble responsibilities. So I think he's going to Brooklyn, but yeah, I'd have him there. How about you? Yeah, the more I've thought about it, um, this is going to sound crazy. I'm going to ask you this just to see if I actually am crazy. Kyrie at the max or D'Angelo Russell at $22 million a year? Who are you taking? Kyrie. Okay. You? It's probably 51-49. And the answer is Kyrie. It's just so much closer than what I thought it would be. Yeah. Like, even just a day ago. Honestly. You Hmm. know, like, 
maybe I've maybe I've listened to too many Bill Simmons podcasts, um, <laughs> or I follow too many Celtics fans on Twitter, or I don't know what what it is. Kyrie's just an interesting dude, and sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes I feel like as players mature, they mature into something that is maybe a little bit too much in one direction that isn't necessarily the best outcome that you would think of when you talk about being mature. Their antisocial tendencies become more calcified. Yeah, And, and look, that doesn't change the fact that I think Kyrie Irving's an amazing player, and I think that he'd be a wonderful fit next to LeBron James, clearly. I think him and Anthony Davis have always had these sort of like discussions about a partnership. They're the same age. There's a bunch to love there with with Kyrie Irving. And sure, so it would be Kawhi and then Kyrie and then Jimmy. I'm just always seeking out value and I'm still trying to figure out ways for this team to build out their roster. And honestly, this is a made-up scenario, but Russell at less than his max with the ability to maybe throw your hat into the ring with, and sign another like six to $9 million player who has the potential to be like super useful. You may get one of the Morris brothers on an $8 million contract or a, you, you know, three years, $20 million that starts at six and a half million dollars. And players like that are useful, man. Mm hmm. And it gives you it gives you six. We talked about this ages ago, right? Where if you can get your six or your seven, you're set, right? Like in terms of competing for championships, if you can get Russell and another guy who can play, he's useful. He's a, a sixth man on your team. Then you're you're right there. You're right in the mix. The Raptors just won a championship basically playing seven and a half players, right? right? And Norman Powell played like I don't know ten minutes a game. He got two shifts, short ones, right? Only to give the key wing players a quick rest and the Lakers need to look at how can we ultimately get to seven or eight players who are playoff capable players. Now they may need 10 players for a regular season rotation, right? To give guys time off and this, this, that, and the other. And that's why a max contract level guy is the most ideal thing because that burden sharing that can exist at that level and how true max level guys elevate those other seven guys of the 10. If you've got LeBron, Anthony Davis, and another real max player, that other guy is is going to help those other seven guys so much and he's going to help LeBron and Anthony Davis. And so that's why I lean more towards that strategy as much as whatever reservations we might have about this front office having the ability to build out a viable roster by divvying up that cash effectively. Yeah, no, and, and one parting note, we've talked a lot about what we want and, and maybe best case scenarios. The... Uh, the Lakers need to be aware of the Mazdang type contracts this summer. That is the if they strike out on Russell and and Butler and you know Kyrie Ka- Kawhi all that, that puts them into territory where maybe they are throwing too much money at guys that are not worth it and that we're regretting it in a year or two. So uh, they need the, on on the other side of the spectrum, 
what they need to avoid, not necessarily what they need to pursue, is entering into those types of deals because that will complicate things for several years to come as the Lakers are already feeling the effects of what you know they're, they're going to be paying for Luol Deng through 2021, I believe. Um, so I, I, that is a slight concern that I have. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this. One uh, last point. Lengthy, yeah, go for it. No, just within that too, all the draft capital that they surrendered in the Anthony Davis trade, however that, that plays out, anything that compromises the future makes that aspect of the Davis deal a tougher pill to swallow, right? Absolutely. And so smart team building now that is going to carry you into the 2022, 2023, and potentially 2024 and 25 seasons. That stuff matters this summer. Yes, it does. So. Yes, it does. And and so they're going to have to be judicious in a market that is going to encourage teams to not be like that. So I hope uh, they're able to pull through. We're going to know a lot more in a week. Uh, we will record as soon as we can once the Lakers do make signings or at least agree to terms with guys. And uh, But in the meantime, I hope you guys enjoyed this, this lengthy preview and uh, provided you some value. And hopefully the Lakers can get some in free agency. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes <laughs> me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound to Vladi. Nice rebound to Vladi. Oh, magic ahead and go to fake. Goes under and scores. Woo! Passing ovation. Listen to the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.